Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. All right, well, we are back in Hebrews, and before we open up, let's just go to the Lord and ask him to teach us everything. God, we thank you so much for this time, and God, as we always should before we dive into your word, we, we approach it in prayer, we approach it humbly, and stepping into the throne room of the universe, Lord, asking you to teach us everything from 1 John 2.27. And God, we thank you so much for the lessons out of this book that you've preserved for so many thousands of years. We thank you, God, that it's for us today that we have much to learn about the correction of our Heavenly Father And we pray that, Lord, you would sit with us in this time and that, God, you would craft a special message for every single person that hears your word today. Lord, all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so it's been a a couple of weeks since we've been in Hebrews, and we had the, the Thanksgiving service, and then we celebrated two years last Sunday, which was a blast, and... We are, we're going to pick this back up, and if you don't remember, we'll go through a couple of slides real quick just on the opening of chapter 12 to give us all a reminder of where we've been. And, you know, the thing that that's, keeps striking me every time we progress further into Hebrews is just how applicable it is to us as Christians today to completely submit your life to the Lord and what that means and the dangers of not doing that, and the dangers of being rebellious in, in even the most subtle way, being rebellious against the Lord. And that, that's why today the Lord titled this message, The Father's Chastening, because he loves you and I so much, and he's raising a family, and he wants to, like a loving father, he wants to correct us, right? So if you go back to the outline you know, we're nearing the bottom here. The true and better response is faith. And chapter 12 closes that out. And then chapter 13 is the last chapter in Hebrews. And if you remember from chapter 11, we went through this hall of faith and we took each one of these for one week at a time and looked at all of these great people in the Bible and how they pressed on by faith. They pressed on to obtain a promise that they never received on the earth. They were pressing on for an inheritance that God promised them, but yet they never received. And they will receive it, though, on the other side of this, just like you and I. We have much to look forward to. And finally, to close chapter 11, remember the Lord said, the world is not worthy. It was not worthy of them, and it's not worthy of us today. And, And again, the challenge question of, well, why do you give it so much of yourself then? because the the world is not worthy of our affection. And so in chapter 11, 
all those great names. And then chapter 12, remember the Holy Spirit, when we open chapter 12, connects what they did to what we are called to today. So to run toward the king, the one who we have to do. It's one of my favorite verses in Hebrews also, the one for whom we have to do. You know, we have an audience. Remember we talked about, we have an audience watching us. The, the multitudes of angels look to us to see how we respond in this relationship with the Father. So we're accountable to one, but have an audience of many. And we've got to be successful in this race by getting into the word of God and putting it on the depth of our heart and the forefront of our mind because anything the enemy throws at us then will be filtered through that. And as long as we do that, we can be successful. And we, we've got to keep walking. And it, it seems trivial and it seems kind of cliche at times, but we are on a walk, not a sprint. This is a marathon walk where we cannot grow weary. You've got to keep going, keep pressing on. No matter how much the enemy throws at you and puts on your back, you've got to keep walking and pressing forward. And so just to read the last four verses we covered last time in Hebrews 12, starting at verse one, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You know, the Lord's really admonishing us to constantly be looking toward Jesus and consider him so that you also don't grow weary. Take his example Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And we talked about that, how, you know, if you're reading this, you haven't resisted yet to death. You haven't resisted to blood as Jesus did. And that's the ultimate resisting of sin, right? To the point that it drives you to death, whether it's being martyred, whether it's whatever. You and I have not done that yet. So there's more, there's more to do is what the Lord is saying. You can resist more. Uh, okay, so starting today in verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, this, this, these are a couple of amazing verses about the Father's love for you and I. So on this sanctification process, we are not to forget the exhortation from the Lord written all the way back in Proverbs. That's, what, that's why he opens up, ye have forgotten the exhortation. So he's saying he doesn't want us to forget the exhortation. And then the rest of verse five and verse six, these are quotes directly from Proverbs three, verses 11 and 12. My son, despise not the chasing of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Okay, so look at verse five again. It's a quote out of Proverbs three. The Lord speaking to us as unto children, 
You know, you and I, when you become born again, you are born into God's family once and for all. You are a child of the King. And think about how do you speak to your children? You know, there's a lot of parents in the room. How do you speak to your children? Do you speak to them out of patience, out of love, out of kindness, to better them and to equip them to, to take on whatever the world's throwing at them? whatever they're facing in school or in college or in a career, you know, we all want our heavenly father to speak to us in that manner with patience and out of corrective love to make us better. And that's exactly what he does for everyone that calls him Lord. It's exactly what he does. And you and I are to do the same thing for our children I know all of you have experienced it. You've been in a store. I'm sure none of you in this room have, have ever spoken to your children out of anger or haste or, or anything. Nobody's done that, right? But you've all been in a store where you've seen some stranger who grabs the kid by the arm and yanks him down the aisle and, and speaks down at him and is pointing in his face or whatever. And, it's, and you look at that as an outsider and you go, man, this is embarrassing, right? This is really embarrassing. How is this guy doing this to this little four-year-old? And, and this is hard to watch. Well, the father sets the example for us. And, and you and I, as hard as it is, because children will push you to your limits, right? Children will push you to the absolute brink of you're about to break. And, and everyone has experienced it, especially if you have young boys, and <laughs> Brent's laughing because he knows, but, but boys have that knack, right? When they're young and then it switches at some point, I'm sure. I'm not, we're not there yet, but in any way, uh, we, we all want our heavenly father to speak to us patiently and out of corrective love. And going through trials can be challenging for you and I. It's not fun when you get into a position where the father's having to correct you for something, it is uncomfortable. It is not a great place to be. Now it's a good place to be in that the father's hands are on you and you're not an illegitimate son. You're in the loving hands of a father that is so patient and he will work until the ends of the earth to make you better out of such love and patience, but it can get uncomfortable at times. And it's funny because, you know, when you, when you have this experience with a child, you have to, I find myself doing this a lot, but you have to remind yourself constantly, the love of the father, the love of the father, the love of the father, the love of the father. <laughs> and, and how can I make this child better, right? How can I shape them to grow up to be godly men or women that are, chase, that are following and chasing after the Lord. And it's, again, it's not a comfortable place, but it's ultimately for our good in every circumstance. It's for the betterment of us and for the betterment of our children. So chastening from the Lord, you know, perhaps one of the most uncomfortable books to read in the whole Bible is the book of Job. And for, for a lot of Christians, they, they don't like this book because here's this guy that seemingly on the surface is a righteous man with nothing wrong with him. And yet he loses everything. And not only does he lose everything, he loses all seven of his children. 
He loses every possession he had materially. He ultimately loses his health. And it's all on the back of you and I get the benefit of the conversation between God and Satan leading up to it, where the Lord points him out and says, have you considered my servant Job? For there is none more righteous than he. Okay, go take care of him. You know, the Lord points Satan to him. But if you read it through the lens of everything that comes before you and I as father filtered, it is maybe the most encouraging book of the Bible because there is nothing that comes before you and I. If we are, if we are in him and born again, there's nothing that comes before us that is not filtered through the father. And what you find when you get to the end of the book is that Job had a lot of pride to work out in his life. The Lord had a lot of pride that he was trying to uproot and get out of Job's life. You know, there are two major lessons for us from that book. One is that everything's father filtered. The second is that Satan absolutely has to obey God's word. It doesn't matter. Satan has to live within those bounds every day, every second from creation. And he has to. And remember, you get the conversation where God and, the, and Satan are having this discourse in chapter one. And he asks, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan starts to rail what accusations against Job. Well, of course he, he praises you. Look how blessed he is. Look at all that he has. He's, he was maybe one of the wealthiest men to live on the earth at that time. And Satan is pointing him out going, well, look at him. He's got all this stuff. Of course he's going to praise you. And God says, okay, you can take everything he has, but you cannot touch him. And Satan has to act within those battle lines. God draws the boundaries and Satan has to act. Remember, he takes his children, he takes his, his goods, his cattle, his land, his house, whatever, but he, take, he still has his health. And so then Satan comes back and says, well, of course he's still praising you because Job would not, would not blaspheme the Lord and rebuke him. Of course he's still praising you, he has his health. And God says, okay, you can take his health, but you can't take his life. And he does that. And remember, then Job's very encouraging spouse comes and says, uh, why don't you just curse God and die already? This is horrible. You know, and then he has the buddies that come and they're, they're maybe the worst encouragers of all. Well, what sin is your life that's causing this? You know, look at you. And how pathetic is your God that you serve, that this is happening? And, and all the time, Job will not blaspheme the Lord or rebuke at him. It's a model for you and I. It's an extreme model. And God promises to return everything to him double, and he does at the end of the book. If you remember, after Job finally submits some things to the Lord, the Lord returns everything double to him. He had seven kids, well, he gets seven more so he has double because he's got 14 then in heaven. He's got all of his possessions. If you go back and look at the number of his cattle and everything, all of that on the earth is doubled. The children, he gets seven back, and that's doubled because they're in heaven waiting for him. And a lot of people tend to miss that. But Job is very encouraging for you and I. It should be a very encouraging book because the Lord hates pride. And he will do everything he has to, to root it out of your heart and get that out and to get you to submit to him. And as, as uncomfortable as it is, 
at the end of the book, though, when he's finished, you get some of the greatest discourses from the Lord out of Job on science lessons. It's, a, it's amazing. The end, of the end of Job is one of my favorite books when the Lord starts questioning him. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You know, he teaches him really quickly, I am but a speck of dust here compared to what God has done. And if you ever want to really, really show something to someone that, that denies science in the Bible, one of the things that God says to him is, can you bind together the sweet influences of the Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? And it's at the end of in Job, I think 37. But what the Lord is saying, see, we, we kind of miss it, but the Pleiades are a grouping of seven stars. They're the only stars in our galaxy that are bound together by gravity. Every other star only has an influence through electromagnetism. Those are the only stars. And they discovered that in the, in sometime around the early 1900s. But that's what the Lord is talking about. Can you bind together the sweet influences of the Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? He's making a reference to, he knows because he hung those stars in the sky that those are the only stars that have a gravitational influence on one another that holds them together. It's amazing. The, the science lessons at the end of Job are just incredible. But read Job with a fresh perspective of everything is father-filtered, it's for our benefit, and as extreme as it is, God always plays the long game of eternity. Not this little life that we call from Psalms 70 and three score and 10, 70 years. Okay, if you look up chastening in the Bible, chastening or to chasten, it's, I think all of us know what it means, right? To correct, discipline, rebuke, reprimand, etc. It's It's correcting someone out of love, out of love. 2 Samuel 7, 14, when you go through and you find chasten in the Bible, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. Psalm 6, verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. That's one key. We do not want to get to the point where we rebel so much against God that he's rebuking us and chasing us out of hot displeasure. The children of Israel saw that a lot in the wilderness and beyond. It's also in Psalms 38, verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. See, he's praying that the Lord doesn't do that, which means there are some instances that he can. And you see that with the children of Israel where he is so fed up with their rebellion that he sends them to Babylon for 70 years because they won't listen to God's word. So it can happen. Proverbs 19, verse 18, chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. So you have a short window. You have a short window to chasten your children before they leave your house. So chasten them while there is hope. Okay, while they're young, while they're under your roof, they're under your authority, correct them. Now look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Then said he unto me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand. Now, Daniel 10, remember, Daniel is fasting and praying for 21 days. He, the angel is sent from the Lord from the day Daniel starts praying and fasting. And it takes the angel 21 days to get to Daniel. And he's fighting the prince of the power of Persia to get to him. 
And finally, it gets to him and says he had to have Michael come and even help him to fight through the battle to get this message to Daniel. Now, the, the lesson there, one of the many lessons for you and I in that is that when you are when you are praying, fasting is like the heavy artillery. And when you're praying for something and you combine it with fasting, you are unleashing spiritual war in the heavens on your behalf. And you are, you are unleashing messengers and angels and all kinds of things. They are battling over you and I in our prayers. And it took that angel 21 days to get to Daniel to deliver this message in chapter 10. And it's amazing because after he tells him, uh, I must go now because I've got to go fight the prince of the power of Grisha. And at that time, Greece didn't rule the world. Persia did. Uh, Daniel was still in Babylon. Persia was about to take over the world and conquer Babylon. And then Greece would conquer Persia hundreds of years later. And so this angel had to go fight the spiritual authority and the power behind the throne of these kingdoms. And that's prevalent today. That's still in operation today. There are principalities and powers and strongholds over nations and cities and kingdoms. You know, the one that I've told you guys this story many times about that, that witch in Lawton that was born again at my wife's church. She was on a mission trip to break apart the church and they, she ended up getting saved. And part of her testimony, she said as she was driving on her mission, her mission trip to come down to Lawton, she saw hovering over the city of Lawton the spirit of greed. And that was the principality and the power that was ruling over, over Lawton. And it made so much sense to me from growing up there and living there that, that how true that is. But in any case, that is still operable today. And, but look at what Daniel says, what the angel says to Daniel, that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God. Thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. See, you and I have an opportunity to chasten ourselves before God, before the Lord has to do it himself. And if you are walking in a spirit of humility before God, and you know when you step out of bounds and you immediately repent and fall on your knees to the Lord and give it over to him, you are chastening yourself before God. And the Lord doesn't have to do it for you. And Daniel took that approach. And when you study the Bible, there is nothing bad ever said about Daniel, ever. The Lord loved Daniel. The pro even Jesus said, the prophet whom I loved, Daniel uh, later on in the book, there's nothing bad ever spoken about him. He, he walked in total humility. He's one of, my, one of the guys I cannot wait to meet in heaven. He's going to have such a, an amazing story to talk to him about, but the whole Babylonian captivity and the, the lion's den and everything. But he never had anything, the Lord had no, nothing bad to say about Daniel. But you and I have that opportunity, right? We've got to chasten ourselves before the Lord. Correction the Lord has imparted the Holy Spirit on you and I to give us that check, right? So you know when you're getting out of bounds or you're acting out of anger or you're acting out of an impatient heart or you're acting out of whatever, pick something. You and I know. So chasing yourself before God has to, has to really step in because he will. 
Look at what Jesus said in Revelation 3, verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So the key for us is to go before the throne room and submit to God because his arms are wide open. And Jesus said it in Revelation 3, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. If you are, God loves you and I, so because we're legitimate children, he will correct us. Here we go. Look at Job 5.17. We talked about that kind of at the beginning. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Even Job knew what he was going through was the correction and the chastening of the Lord. Isaiah 26.16, Lord, in trouble have they visited thee. They poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them. Now, what Isaiah, this one in Isaiah 26, he's saying it wasn't until trouble and the the chasing was upon them that all of a sudden they got serious and started praying. And that's, that's, the Lord doesn't want that from us. He doesn't want the only time that you go to him to be when it's an absolute desperation. He wants to hear from you and have an open relationship with you and I all the time. And then this word uh, chastening, it shows up three times in the verses we're covering today. And the Hebrew word for chastening, uh, musar, it occurs 50 times in the Old Testament. And look at Deuteronomy 11, verse 2. And know ye this day, for I speak not with your children, which have not known and which have not seen the chastisement of the Lord your God. So in each of these verses, we're going to cover If you see H4148 in parentheses, the word right before that is chastening and it's translated either something different. And we'll see that. And here it's chastisement of the Lord your God. His greatness, his mighty hand, and his stretched out arm. That's in Deuteronomy 11 verse 2. Can you go to the next slide, Aaron? So then Job 12 verse 18, he looseth the bond, the chastening, chastisement, discipline, of kings and girdeth their loins with a girdle. Again in Job. Job 20, verse 3 I have heard the check of my reproach, and the spirit of my understanding causeth me to answer. You and I have that same thing because the Holy Spirit indwells in us. We have a check in our spirit. How many times you even hear secular people use that phrase, right? Well, I just have him a check in my spirit about this guy or gal or this situation. That comes straight out of Job, chapter 20, verse 3. And and you and I have that as Christians walking around. Job 36, verse 10. He openeth also their ear to discipline. It's that same word. And commandeth that they return from iniquity. Psalms 50, verse 17. Seeing thou hatest instruction and casteth my words behind thee. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise that. So don't despise the instruction and correction from God. Proverbs 4, verse 13, take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go, keep her for she is thy life. You know, Jesus is correction and instruction because he's love. And we're gonna talk about that in a minute, but you've got to take fast hold of Jesus and do not let go, like hold on for dear life and just be humble before him. Let him correct you in things in your life. Proverbs 5 verse 12, 
and say, how have I heard instruction and my heart despised reproof? Proverbs 8 verse 10, receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. That instruction is worth more to God than silver and gold because it bears fruit that is eternal. It bears so much fruit. When you and I are humbly walking before the Lord and you let him correct and instruct and discipline you, you will bear fruit and have a witness and a testimony for everyone in your life. Proverbs 12 verse one, whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. If you don't like reproof and correction, you're a brutish individual. You're, you are one that it's almost like you're constantly at odds with someone, right? And if you've ever experienced a child that does not respect your, your instruction or your reproof, it's difficult. There, as a parent, there's, there are few things that hurt more than a rebellious child. Because as much as you chase after them and you pour into them and you pray for them and you show them the right way, they keep walking the path that leads to destruction. And it's difficult. It's really difficult. Proverbs 13 verse 1, a wise son heareth his father's instruction. Now that's not just his earthly father, but his heavenly father. A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Proverbs 15.10, correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. Now there's a, there's a little bit of a dual meaning here because what is our walk with the Lord referred to all through the New Testament, right? It's called the way. All through Acts, it was the way. And so correction is grievous. Think about it in modern day church terms. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. You know, when Christians leave the way, they hate, they hate correction. They start to go, go astray. Brothers and sisters come around them, try to edify them, pray with them, correct them, help to pour the word of God into them to edify them to, for their benefit, right? And when they hate reproof and they hate correction, it's hard. It's really hard. Proverbs 15, verse 32, he that refuseth instruction despiseth, despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. It's linked to when you're in the word of God, and we've talked about this cycle, knowledge, wisdom, understanding. When you start to get into the word of God, you're gonna find things in your life you didn't even know you needed to get rid of. And, and that happens on the sanctification process. Well, if you will hear the reproof of God's word, you're gonna go on that cycle and get more understanding and come back and humbly submit to the Lord and get more knowledge, which is gonna to lead to more wisdom and more understanding. And it's a cycle. He that heareth reproof getteth understanding. You'll grow more in the Lord if you are open to correction. If you're not open to correction, you're going to stall. You're absolutely going to stall, exactly like Lot's wife when she looked back. Her walk stopped at that moment. Jeremiah 2, verse 30. In vain have I smitten your children. They received no correction. Your own sword hath devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. 
Boy, that's a, that's a hard verse too. Jeremiah 2, verse 30. Jeremiah had a tough ministry of go give this word to these people, but just know in advance none of them are going to listen to you. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard ministry, but he did it anyway. But you can be corrected in vain. You and I can be corrected in vain. They received no correction. Your own sword hath devoured your prophets. And the Lord says, in vain have I smitten your children. You can be corrected in vain. The Lord, it's almost like he's trying desperately, but you're not hearing him. Jeremiah 7, verse 28, but thou shalt say unto them that this is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their, from their mouth. You know, I hope that the Lord doesn't say that about us as a nation of kings and priests for him. Zephaniah Zephaniah is an amazing book of prophecy. Zephaniah chapter three, verse two, she obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. Zephaniah 3, seven, I said, surely thou wilt fear me. Thou wilt receive instruction. See, instruction again is linked to fearing the Lord. So their dwelling should not be cut off so that our dwelling should not be cut off. You need to fear the Lord and receive correction and instruction. Howsoever I punished them, but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. So do not take the Lord's correction and do nothing with it. You know, I promise you, your walk will exponentially grow if you take the Lord's correction in stride, submit to it as painful as it is at times and take it and receive it and act on it. Look at 1 John 4, verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Okay, love is an action. And we talk about this all, this all the time. But love is an action, it's not an emotion. Love gives one what they need, not what they want. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The world didn't want Jesus, but he gave him anyway because the world needed him. And love is an action. So when God corrects you and I out of love, it is an action. He's correcting you because he loves you. If he didn't, how much love would he have for you? And the same is said for us, as, again, that are parents in the room. If you don't correct your children, you're not showing much love for them because you're letting them go on the road that leads to, that leads to destruction. And, you know, it's like spareth the rod, he who spareth the rod spareth the child in Proverbs. Because if you don't correct him or her, then you're sparing that child. You're not showing any love or consideration for that child. Okay, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse seven, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So chastening from God is proof that you have become a legitimate son. God doesn't correct those that aren't a part of his family. They haven't, they're not born again. He tries, he's pleading for them to get saved, right? but it's a different relationship once you get born again that you're under his authority and he's going to start showing you how to live. 
So chastening is to help subdue ungodly desires or passions. It is one of the many ways God will correct mistakes in your life. Okay, because you're a legitimate son, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Everyone in here that is born again, you are subject to this. You and I, no matter how old or young you are, the Lord is always raising a family and he's always going to correct us in our lives. Look at verse eight. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. You know, how often is it that you hear, this is, this is one of the answers to a major question and debate within that unsaved people ask Christians, right? How can a godly, a loving father do fill in the blank? You know, they read Job, they read the book of Job and they're like, how in the world can a loving father do this to someone and his family? Hebrews 12 is the answer because it's out of love. He's, he is shaping you and I and he wants to, he will do whatever it takes to drive you and I to our, to our knees. And we should all be partakers, right, of chastening and correction from the Lord. So don't be embarrassed of God's correction either. Do not be embarrassed. We're all partakers of it. I mean, I have a thousand stories I could share about God correcting me in my life. It's a part of your testimony. When God shapes you and, and corrects something in your life, be proud of that because that is a loving father that's doing that for you and I. And it's a, it could be a lesson just for you. It could be used as a lesson to witness to someone in the future. So take that into consideration. You should be open to sharing it, is my point. You know, it can edify and encourage the body at times. If you went through something and God took you out of a valley and brought you through something out of a correction or a love, a loving way in your life, that's, that can be very encouraging for people. And so don't, don't use it as a, or don't think of it as an embarrassing thing. Okay, in verse nine here. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. So in other words, you and I, if you're in this room, you have a father, uh, whether they're alive or not, or in your life or not, you've had a father at some point and if they corrected you and you were an obedient child, you gave them reverence for it, right? I think about, I think about just even the other day we watched um, <laughs> the Christmas story, and you know just that it was set in the early 1900s. But how much reverence those boys and and daughters had for dads, right? That they it didn't matter if the dad said something, they listened because they acted out of reverence for them. And you saw that a lot in that movie. Um, I had never watched it all the way through, so we, we watched it the other day. It's, it's hilarious. But, <laughs> but um, they had reverence for dads. You know, I think about my grandfather who fought in World War II. He, he, he would not step out of line from his dad at all. As a kid growing up in the, in the 20s, and they... They had a different reverence, and our culture has lost that a lot, right? How often on even just TV shows is the dad the bumbling idiot that can't figure something out? You know, you think about, goodness, The Simpsons. I mean, even Homer is just treated like he's such a buffoon on the show, and it's been out for 50 years or whatever. But, 
those, all those shows, those modern sitcoms, they always treat the dad in a bad light, right? And it's just kind of ingrained this, this in our culture that dads are the joke of the family not to be revered. And that's switched, and that's a tool from the enemy. It's a, it's a culture war that we're in with the enemy. And so, but what should we do? We should, we should give our earthly fathers and mo- mothers respect and reverence, right? And look at the end of verse nine. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? You know, when your parents correct you, most children give their parents reference. And it's a model of how we should also be in subjection to our heavenly father, Our earthly fathers make mistakes, but our heavenly father never makes a mistake. It's always for our personal edification. And this is the only place in the Bible where the father, the father of spirits is used as a title of God. The only place in the entire Bible, the father of spirits, the Lord is the father of all that word of spirits is pneuma. It's the breath of God. Spirits in whom is the breath of God. So when you're born again, right? You have the pneuma. You are imparted with the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, and he is the father of that. In verse 10 here, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. In other words, there's a lot of instances where parents chasten their children out of the wrong emotion, right? If they chasten or you act out of anger, and we talked about that kind of at the beginning, but it's, raised, it's, it's based on the wrong motive, anger, displeasure, etc. If you're trying to, if you're correcting a child out of displeasure or anger, typically it's from the wrong heart posture. And you'll do something that maybe you even regret later. But God always corrects us for profit. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness And so why does God do this for us? That we may be partakers with Christ. Remember, Christ is the heir of all things and we are to be co-heirs with him. And so we've got to lean into his correction and listen to God's plea. Okay, the last verse here. So now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Right, when you're in it, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's not the most joyful thing to be in the middle of God correcting you in something. Now, it doesn't have to last very long. Um, I could tell you from personal experience, sometimes it lasts a long time, sometimes it lasts very short. But I promise you know when it's happening. And it doesn't have to last long. If you, if you submit to it and repent, he is so faithful to forgive you of your sin and to pick you back up and to keep walking alongside you. But grievous, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth Look what it yields though. The peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So correction from God can either be miserable or enjoyable. And it depends on your perspective and how you receive it. And the Lord promises that if you will yield to him, that correction will yield peaceable fruit of righteousness. And he is the prince of peace, right? Incredible peace comes only from the Lord's correction. If you don't yield, eventually God will turn you over. Look at Samson. Remember when he's, he's messing around and doing things that he shouldn't do, every time he thinks that the Lord is with him, he's going to break out of this again, and he breaks the, the chains or whatever off of him, the ropes. 
But remember the last time, he for, for he knew not that God had left him. What a horrible place to be, to not know that the Lord had left you. And he was left trying to act in his own strength. And obviously, you know what happened. He gets imprisoned. They put out his eyes. They blind him. And they make a mockery of him in front of his enemies. So be expectant of trials and tribulations. Look at John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So expect it. Expect persecution and tribulation. And sometimes it's not out of God's chastisement. It's because you're just living a godly life. And the key is to recognize the difference. The key is to recognize when you're out of God's line and out of his direction and you're experiencing his correction versus you are walking with him and the world is just pouring on trials and tribulation on you. There's a difference. But why do God's children go through trials? This was a list I heard uh, quoted years ago. I believe it's from Hal Lindsey's book, Combat Faith. Is I, th- I think that's where this list comes from. But to glorify God from Daniel 3, 16 through 18 and 24 through 25. Discipline for known sin in Hebrews 12, James 4, Romans 14, and John 1. To prevent us from falling into sin from 1 Peter 4. To keep pride out of our lives in 2 Corinthians 12 and Galatians 4 and 6. To build our faith in 1 Peter 1 to cause growth in Romans 5, 3 through 5, to teach obedience and discipline in Acts 9, 15 through 16, and Philippians 4, 11 through 13, to equip us to comfort others, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, to prove the reality of Christ in us, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 11, for testimony to the angels in Job 1, 8. We talked about that the testimony that Job had for not rebuking God for the angels. It's incredible. Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. That's the the audience, right? The beginning of chapter 12 here, the audience and the multitudes that we are walking as, and they're bearing witness to how we act in 1 Peter 1, 12. Okay, that's a, it's a good list. You could add a lot to that. I would add also uh, to edify your family, those that are under your authority and under your wing. Uh, they, they, your children need to see how you respond to correction and how you respond to things that happen in your life. And what's our responsibility in the matter of all of it? James 1, 2 through 4 sums it up really nicely. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Okay, when you let patience work in your life and you take the correction of God, it works perfectly and you are wanting nothing. That doesn't mean you won't have material needs or physical wants or anything. It means you're you're wanting of nothing. Everything that you need is provided by God and you're lacking none of it. So run to Jesus, 
He so desperately wants you to live a life of freedom. And now, the correction from the Lord, you know, we, we look at this map a lot, and, and I use this at the end of the messages a lot of those areas in Israel that the children of Israel did not listen to God, and Joshua didn't conquer all of these strongholds in the West Bank, the Golan Heights, and the Gaza Strip. In those three areas, how they are still causing the children of Israel to have issues today. You know, this happens to you and I and will happen if you don't act on the correction from the Lord. If you do not act and submit to his correction, these are strongholds and things and areas in your life that will cause issues years down the road and cause issues and and have rippling effects on future generations. Your children, your family, your spouse, those around you, your circle, how it, how it prospers with the Lord depends heavily on how you and I submit to him. And you've got to keep that in mind, that you have a spouse, you have children, you have people counting on you in this walk. Not only the Lord, I mean, that would be enough, but your family. And you and I have got to be receptive of correction one of my favorite quotes, I heard, I heard Robin say this uh, maybe a year ago now, but he said, you know, if, if, uh, you'll never be offended a day in your life if you just walk humbly. And, <laughs> and that's, he sums it up so well with that one quote. You know, if you walk humbly before the Lord, the Lord's correction and those around you, you will never be offended. You're not gonna be offended by that because you, you have a proper perspective that you and I are just human. We are, we are walking through a sinful, fallen world in a sinful, fallen body in a temporal state trying to get on the other side of this thing and to keep it all together. And I just loved his perspective of um, that if you don't think too highly of yourself, you'll never be offended. <laughs> and that it's so true. It is so true. If you don't think very highly of yourself, uh, the Lord's correction will not offend you either. And, and that's the key for all of us to, to uproot that pride and stand humbly before him. And remember what happened then in Joshua, because they had accursed things in their lives, they, they fell in the wars with their enemies in Joshua 7. And so they weren't humble enough to get rid of what God was telling them to get rid of. And thus the spiritual war that they were in that was manifesting physically, they fell in. They, they were victims of. They perished in the way. So we've got to keep pressing on and to walk humbly to get on the other side of this thing. So remember, and remember a lot of them, three and a half tribes wanted their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. They didn't want to press on. The key for you and I is to be like the rest of them and to keep pressing on. And we've got to press on. And, and to me, this is so operable to stay humble and to, see, to be in total submission before the Lord because our time is short. Our time is very short. And we've got to be watching. There's so many developments going on in Israel right now. There are so many developments going on in the Middle East with the alliances of, of Psalm 73 and Psalm 78 and Ezekiel 38 and 39. These alliances that, that come together to fulfill prophetic wars between 
Russia, Syria, Turkey, uh, Iran, all of them unify together and attack Israel. And you're seeing that happen right now. And you're seeing Israel take a, a bigger place in the Middle East. Now they're going to start exporting natural gas to Europe from the destruction of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. You're seeing why those other nations will come down from Ezekiel 38 and try to take spoil from them and to take riches from them. Everything is being set up. And so our time, our time is very short and we've got to be watching and pressing on and living for the Lord. We have to. So you guys get in God's word, submit yourself to, the, to him, um, go before him this week. It's a humbling question to ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life that is displeasing to you? And, and he may not answer. You know, you may have a lot submitted to him and, he, and maybe he's like the letter to the church of Philadelphia. You're doing great, keep pressing on. But like those other churches in the seven letters, he may have something for you and only you and he know that. So get before him and ask. He's so, he is so loving and so faithful to correct you and I out of love. And it could be something so subtle. Um, it could be something that you've known for many years but have been holding on to. Now, if, you are, if you're watching this and you don't know the Lord, it's simple. You've got to get born again. Like Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again to inherit the kingdom. And it's very simple. It's Romans 10, 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is so simple to get born again, to forever have salvation and to be with God, never separated from him for all eternity. That's all it takes is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead for you and I, and you shall be saved. And let me, let me just share something before we close in prayer here with all of you. You know, prayer is a powerful tool. And if you have anyone in your life that you've been praying for, for a long time, keep doing it. No matter how many decades it takes. You know, I got to, I got to see my dad uh, this week in the hospital. He had a heart issue and I've told many of you this before, but he left us when I was six. And for the most part, the last 35 years, I haven't had much of a relationship with him. Well, he, for the first time in 10 years, I got to see him last November. And I've been praying for his salvation for since I was eight, since the Lord grabbed a hold of me. And I don't know what's happening with all of this, but he reached out. He was in the hospital and he was like, Matt, I, I really want to see you. So I got to spend most of the week in the hospital with him. And that's been decades and decades of prayer uh, for me in my life. And I got to share with him what forgiveness from the Lord means. And what's amazing, this is what's so amazing about this. And, and I'm just, I'm telling all of you, if, you, if you've not studied, we may have to do a, a whole message on the power of forgiveness it is so powerful. It is so powerful. It's, it's important for you if you have anyone in your life that you haven't forgiven. It can be an entry. Look at Matthew 18, 34 and 35. 
it can be an entry for the enemy to grab a hold of you as a Christian. And you've got to forgive people in your lives. If you have never, if you are holding and harboring unforgiveness, it is one of the first and major doors that you will have open to demonic attack in your life from the enemy. It's so important for you to release that. And what, uh, what's amazing, it became operable this week as I was talking to my dad because he was asking if what we could do to reconcile and be a part of each other's lives again. And, and I just told him, I told him, dad, you know, I have forgiven you from the day anything ever happened. And his response, I will never forget. He said, Matt, I have felt that and I've known that my whole life. And see, because, because I forgave him and I didn't harbor any bitterness or any ill will toward him, it opened the door for him 30 plus years down the road to want and open that relationship back up. It is just so powerful. And uh, if you are praying for someone, no matter how long it takes in your life, keep praying for them. It may be decades later before you hear anything, but again, God always plays the long game. And so now, just like when I was a kid, my prayer for him is, has not changed. Second Peter 3, 9, Lord, that your will is that all should come to repentance. His will is that none should perish, right? And all should come to, to salvation. And 1 John 5, 14 and 15, anything we pray according to God's will, he hears us from heaven and he will act. So even if you're praying and you don't see it, keep praying. Just want to encourage all of you with that, especially as we go into Christmas is two weeks away. Uh, a lot of you may have family or friends or people you're going to see in your life that you have an estranged relationship with. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them and walk humbly before them. And God will use that in their lives, I promise. So Lord, we come before you and we just thank you for, for the lesson and the messages on the Father's chastening. Lord, we thank you that you have imparted the Holy Spirit as a check in us to let us know when we are out of bounds. And Lord, we pray that our ears would be attuned to hear what you are saying to us, just like you declared in Revelation 2 and 3. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity, just like Daniel, to chasten ourselves before it gets too far, to humbly come before you and to repent and to turn things over to you. Lord, we thank you for that. And God, we pray that all of us would walk humbly before you and be in submission to you in our lives. We thank you for this time together be with those that could not be here, Lord. Again, we pray radical health would sweep through the body of Christ and that, Lord, you would lift up your family and set them upon the rock that is Jesus and gird them in health and strength to press on for you and to be salt and light in this world, Lord. We love you and we thank you for this time and that we get to celebrate your arrival to planet earth the first time as we look expectantly to your return the second time to rule and reign, God. We love you and we praise your name, Father, in Jesus' name. 
Amen.